Amen. Let's take God's Word together this evening and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would please. I want to speak to you, Lord willing, over the next few weeks on from this book. Uh, 1 Corinthians is an interesting book written with many, many different intentions. In fact, it's somebody once said Paul uh, re- really wrote to the Corinthian church here with more problems to deal with in one letter than any other. And it's one of his lengthy, lengthy letters, one of his three most lengthy letters, one and two Corinthians and Romans, because he had a lot to deal with. And uh, most people believe that some of his shorter letters were written before this, Galatians and Ephesians, and but this one being a little bit later. But one of the purposes that Paul writes the letter to the Corinthian church is because there was division. And that's the first issue that he deals with in the book. And I want the Lord to help us. And sometimes we face troubles and difficulties in our own private lives and in our own church families, and we wonder what to do. And God gives us gives us answers, and we rejoice to know that. And I think if we wish to be victorious in these things, we must go to Scripture. And uh, the temp- there's a temptation always to go to other people, to go to YouTube, to go to websites, but we must go to God's Word. And in the Scriptures we find the answers. And that's part of being rooted and grounded in truth. The Corinthian church was really a, a church made up mostly of Gentiles and from a variety of backgrounds. It was a very difficult church to maintain unity because of that, because of the cultural differences, because of the past, the history of sin. I mean, it was a, it was a intense city, a very wicked city. In fact, there was, there were expressions coined to explain, uh, the, the level of, of licentiousness or, uh, sinfulness of the day. And they would use Corinth in that expression. If you wanted to talk about somebody who was, who was sexually promiscuous, there was a phrase that included the word Corinthian in it, because that was one of the descriptions of the people the city of Corinth. And that shows up one of the problems that is found within the Corinthian church. But the first problem that Paul deals with is found in our text tonight. Let's begin reading in verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. It's amazing that although this letter is written specifically to the church at Corinth, in dealing with specific problems there, God, in His infinite wisdom, takes this writing and He expands it to us. By adding that phrase at the end of verse 2, not just those who are in Corinth, but also all, with all, that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. That's us. Grace be unto you 
and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator made the observation that Paul begins with dealing with the second coming of Christ, and he ends this letter dealing with the second coming of Christ. Therefore, there must have been some in the church who doubted and did not believe in the second coming of our Lord and Savior. That's one of the problems he deals with. It's also very interesting that the church at Corinth, as carnal as it was, was very gifted. Very gifted. In fact, he says they come behind in no gift. In fact, the pages of 1 Corinthians deals with a lot of the gifts that God's Spirit gives. But sometimes there's a danger in thinking that being gifted is equivalent to being spiritual. It's not. In fact, he even says that these people here were enriched by Christ in all utterance and all knowledge. They knew a lot. And they were smooth talkers. They were good. They were good. They were very articulate. But just because we know a lot and because we can articulate Scripture and truths from God's Word doesn't make us spiritual. Be careful. Don't make the mistake of thinking just because you know a lot that you are spiritual. In fact, knowledge puffeth up without the Spirit of God. And Paul writes, in fact, we'll see this in weeks to come at the end of chapter 2, that there's a difference between being able to be spiritually discerning and being carnally minded. And there are many people who are humanly wise, but not spiritually wise, and there's a difference. He makes this, in the very in introduction, he makes this understanding that these people are gifted. Now, you read this book and you think, fornication, People don't believe in the resurrection, divisions. I mean, there's a whole heap of problems, and yet they're very gifted. Don't make the mistake of thinking just because somebody's gifted that they're spiritual. Verse 8, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a word of hope. From the very beginning of this letter, Paul gives hope. That although the things that he's about to address are many problems in the church, he also begins, before he addresses the problems, by saying, Christ Jesus will confirm you to the end, and that we will eventually be blameless. Now, that's encouraging. Because sometimes I look at myself and think, I've got a whole heap of problems. In fact, when you read this book, you, you, I almost breathe a sigh of relief. At least I don't have those problems. But our problems are just as bad as theirs. And if we're not careful, we'll think ourselves to be better or more spiritual because we don't have the same problems they did. But Paul encourages them nonetheless that they will become blameless, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible, and when Christ returns by the power of His Spirit, we shall indeed be blameless. God is faithful. I'm thankful for those three words, aren't you? Sometimes I'm not so faithful, but He is. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I beseech you, I've written in the margin of my Bible, time to deal with business. 
He gives his introduction in the first nine verses, and then he gets right to it. Now, I beseech you, brethren, I implore you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, or the world by its wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory, glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Let's just pray here briefly before we get into the message this evening. Father, we thank thee for the words we have read and what truth, what powers found in thy book. Guide us by thy spirit through some of these verses, Lord. Give us understanding, give us spiritual enlightening, enlighten the understanding of our minds and hearts that we may not just hear words but grasp truths that are heavenly and sent to us from thee bless the preaching of the word tonight for we ask it in jesus christ's name amen i'll draw your attention to verse number 13 the first three words is the title of our message tonight is christ divided the natural tendency in man is to divide 
The vision is the fruit of the flesh. Now, there are times when some divisions are ordained of God. We'll see that later on throughout this book and throughout other pages of Scripture. But Paul makes it very clear in the text, the context of this of this letter. In fact, in chapter 3, Paul acknowledges in verse number 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men, or walk like other men. So divisions, strife, these things are fruits of the flesh. Now that's hard to acknowledge that because we all, each one of us, find ourselves there sometime. And I don't like to acknowledge and admit that I'm carnal, and I'm sure you don't either. But these are fruits of the flesh. To be divisive, to be envying, to be striving, these are signs of carnality. And though many, even in the Corinthian church, tried to masquerade their carnality as spirituality. That's the temptation sometimes. To try to hide my my strife or my envying, my jealousy or my divisiveness as being spiritual. It's not. Can't be. One of the reasons the Apostle Paul writes this letter, as I mentioned earlier, in fact, the first matter of business that Paul deals with is this matter of divisions. He says in verse number 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. And so we consider this question this evening, is Christ divided? It's a question that Paul asks. It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't need you to answer because we know what the answer is. Is Christ divided? No. Emphatically, impossibly, no. And with this question, Paul appeals to the highest motive for Christian unity. He doesn't say, look, let's just get along because, you know, it's not nice. All these fussings and divisions, it makes things tense, and I don't like it. No, no. The highest motive for Christian unity is this question. Is Jesus Christ divided? That's the highest motive. And he begins there. He begins with a plea of Christian unity and dealing with this problem of divisions by addressing this question, beginning with this thought. Christ Jesus is not divided. Ephesians chapter 4, turn with me please. And the first six verses, Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. Anytime Paul writes this way, I beseech you, I implore you, I'm pleading with you. It demands careful attention. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. This is the whole church, not just ministers, the whole church. We ought to walk worthy of the calling that God's given us. And look how we do that. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs only, uh, by strife cometh contentions. Only by pride cometh contentions. And if we are not walking in lowliness and meekness or long-suffering, then we're going to have contention and division. And this is something each one of us need. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. Look, deal with it. Put up with it. Forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is how many bodies? 
one body. You say, well, there are many denominations all around the world, but there's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So our greatest motive and plea for Christian unity is that Christ is not divided. Now, look at our text in verse number 10. Paul says, I beseech you, I implore you, I plead with you. Look at the next word, brethren. Now here's the next, the next tool that Paul uses in pleading and calling for unity. Brethren. One of the heartaches of being a parent is watching your children fuss and fight with one another. And if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. You think, can't you just get along? Maybe you've said that even today, mothers or fathers. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. I beseech you, brethren, you are brothers and sisters. You're not enemies. The Bible says in Ephesians, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sometimes in the heat of a moment, we imagine the person we're looking at or dealing with to be the enemy. That person's the enemy. That person, no, 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 hold on a moment. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Scriptures are clear. Rulers. The Bible says there's a hierarchy of command in the devilish world. And sometimes we are so ignorant to spiritual things. We act like we're so spiritual, but we're totally ignorant. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Know how ignorant we are sometimes. We're brethren. Same father. We have the same family. We have the same Savior. In fact, John writes about this. I love John. I love the way John writes. He's the apostle of love. Peter's called the apostle of hope. John's called the apostle of love. But in 1 John chapter 3, listen to what he says. In this, the children of God are manifest. This is how we know you're a child of God and, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I beseech you, brethren, we're brothers. The second plea that Paul employs or uses as he calls for Christian unity is he says, I beseech you, brethren, look what the next phrase is, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for the honor and protection of Jesus Christ's name. I beseech you by the name of Jesus Christ, I plead with you for Christ Jesus' sake, for his name's sake, that there be no divisions among you. Look at Ephesians 4 once again, please. This is a remarkable book. It's amazing how, how Paul writes to these churches and these things seem to apply to, to us even today, 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later. The last verse of chapter 4 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There are times when you don't want to be kind. I say this to my children. There are times when they don't want to be kind, when they don't want to be tenderhearted, when they don't want to forgive. But we are called upon to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted towards one another, and even to forgive one another just the same way that God forgave us. Not for my sake. God did not forgive me for my sake, but for Christ's sake. Some people say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forgiving unless, unless they say sorry. Hold on. We were forgiven for Christ's sake. Not because of what I said or what I did. God forgave me for Christ's sake. Now, the whole context of that verse, I want you to look at it here briefly with me in our, in our text tonight because it's very important. Beginning in verse number 17, this I say, therefore, of Ephesians 4, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, remember that word again, from now on, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Meaning those who are not saved in the vanity of their mind. And it's interesting, in the next two verses, at least on three occasions, he talks about the mind, because this is where the battle begins. We begin walking properly, we begin responding properly, when our mind is properly working. Gentiles are walking in the vanity of their mind. The emptiness, the puffed upness of their mind. Having the understanding darkened. Paul saying to the believer, it's possible for you as a child of God to be walking like the Gentiles. But you shouldn't. That's why he's telling us. He's telling us we shouldn't because he knew that sometimes we do. I've been there. How many times has your mind been clouded, darkened? You're not thinking properly. I've been there before. And the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Think for a second about that. What an indictment that we would allow darkness to cloud in our mind in such a way that it actually alienates us from the life of God. Now, for the Gentiles, they are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. We don't have that excuse anymore. God lives inside of us. And so Paul is saying, look, don't walk anymore like Gentiles walk. Don't do that. You don't have an excuse your mind shouldn't be empty. You should have the mind of Christ. Your understanding shouldn't be darkened because God lives inside of you. Who, speaking about these Gentiles, being past feeling. That's a dangerous place to get when you move beyond feeling. When you grow so hard, I've been there before. When you grow hardened in your affections that you no longer feel, you become calloused. Like somebody's been scarred or burnt. That's a bad place to be. You don't feel it anymore. And therefore, because you don't feel it, you think you're okay. Being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. 
but ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth that is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, put it off and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In fact, the Bible says in Corinthians that though the outward man perish, yet the inward man, it can be renewed day by day. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. My wife and I many years ago uh, said to ourselves uh, after a bit of a dispute, I know it's hard for you to imagine, after a bit of a, uh, a confrontation, and uh, when you're newly wed and newly married and sometimes you have these difficulties and troubles and, and you don't know how to respond to them and sometimes people think the best way to respond is by giving the silent treatment. And maybe you know what I'm talking about, and sometimes it goes on. Maybe it's the wife, or maybe it's the husband. And I'm going to really let him know what he did to me is wrong, and I'm not going to talk to him. And two or three days goes by, and there's a silent treatment, and, and it's a miserable place to be. And this is why Paul writes, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, he says, look, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Deal with it before the day is over. Now, there's so much wisdom in this. Husbands and wives, if there be a problem in your home, if there be strife, before the day is up, deal with it. If you don't deal with it, look at the next verse. Neither give place to the devil. The longer you let it go on, the more you give space literally for Satan and his work. D don't go to bed until you get it sorted out. My wife and I said many years ago, by God's grace, we're not going to do this anymore. If there's a problem, we're going to try to deal with it the same day. So we can go to bed, put our heads on our pillows, knowing that things are okay. Now, we haven't always done that, but we talked about it at least, and we want to do it. Now, that's got to carry on in our, not just in our marriages, with our but with our children, in our church family. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And in fact, that one verse, the context of being angry and sin, not how many times have we sinned with our mouth when we were angry? That's the natural thing, and I've been guilty of that so many times. If that happens, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, this is important. Ask yourself, are the things that are coming out of your mouth that you're talking about, are they edifying or are they corrupting? things that you're talking about, whispering about, the things you're discussing, are they matters that edify or corrupt? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We have the opportunity with our very words to actually minister grace to those who hear us, to build people up. Or, you remember I preached uh, several months ago, uh, that the power of death and life is in the tongue. Oh, how many times we've hurt with our tongue. And look at the next verse. And grieve not 
the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, in the context of, of really verse 26 down to verse 32, uh, these are the things that grieve the Spirit of God. Being angry and sinning and then letting the sun go down on your wrath and giving place to the devil and stealing and, and letting corrupt com communication come out of your mouth. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is that intention to do harm. That shouldn't be found amongst us. Should never be found amongst God's people. The intention to want to hurt someone or to tear apart someone. That's not found. Shouldn't be found amongst God's people. So let bitterness be put away. If you don't put bitterness away, you give place to the devil. Let wrath and anger be put away or you give place to the devil. Let clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake. There's the context. For Christ's sake. Now it all begins in the mind. Paul said that in verse 17 and 18. And if we don't deal with it, we will grieve the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, who ministers between us for Christ's sake. There's the motive. Now how? There's the motive of Christian unity for Christ's sake. How? How do we get unity and maintain unity in a world full of fleshly, carnal minds? And as spiritual as we want to be and maybe even are there are still times when the flesh, the old nature, rears his ugly head. How do we keep unity, maintain it? Look what the scriptures say in verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. Divisions, schisms are the result of different words, different teachings, different teachers, as you see later on. Different preferences, different opinions. So what do we do? Because we're human, we're bound to have different opinions and different preferences, and, and you're bound to have a different favorite preacher. And maybe maybe Seth is your favorite preacher, or maybe Danny's your favorite preacher, or maybe Raya. And uh, and therefore, well, I'm with Raya, or I'm with Danny. I, how do we avoid this? Because naturally speaking, we all very hard to all speak the same thing. The command is given that we all speak the same thing. Now, how does that happen? Look at the next thing. That there be no divisions among you. Because in speaking, speaking the same thing, there'd be no division. We understand that in principle, don't we? If every single one of us in this church family would speak the same thing, there wouldn't be any divisions. But how does that practically happen? Because we're bound to have different opinions and we're bound to see things differently, bound to interpret Scripture differently. So how on earth do we ever speak the same thing? But we're given some more help. But that ye be perfectly joined together. The result of not speaking the same things is divisions or schisms amongst us. But rather that ye be perfectly joined. Rather than being divided or there being schisms, the opposite of that is being perfectly joined, perfectly united, right? The opposite of being divided and there being schisms is being perfectly united. Being perfectly united, look at this, being perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The only way we'll ever say the same things is that we have the same mind. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's the reason we speak such differing things, and that's the reason we interpret things differently, because our minds, well, I, I see it like this, or I see it like this, and 
we all have different minds. So how on earth do you get a church, especially the larger church grows, how do you get a church to be have the same mind? How on earth does that happen? Unless we're all brainwashed, right? That's what somebody said once to Mark Jones. You may remember, you've been brainwashed. He was going to an NA Narcotics Anonymous meeting after he'd been born again. And he said, look, people, you need Jesus. This is not going to help you, although it's good to be here, but Jesus is what you need. And they said, those people down at that church has brainwashed you. And he said, maybe my brain needed washing. Now, he's on to something. Getting our brains washed and onto the same page, how does that happen? Look at what it says. Being joined, perfectly joined together in the same mind. I want you to look at a couple of passages with me. Go to Romans chapter 12 first. No, no, no. Go to Philippians. Let's start with that. I think that's the best place to begin. Philippians chapter 2. You probably already know where I'm headed. Philippians chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. There it is again. Same mind. But that is humanly impossible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is humanly, physically impossible that all these people will be of the same mind. Bring together the Sunday morning congregation and then the Sunday evening congregation, then all the Sunday school children and all the other outreaches, bring all those together and get them all together in one place, get all the Christians in Oxford in one place, pile them into Kassam Stadium and say, okay, all of us need to have the same mind. It's impossible. Humanly impossible, but not spiritually. Be of one accord, of one mind. Verse 2, twice it says it. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. How do we get the same mind? There's your first step. Lowliness of mind. Now, can I tell you that's one of the hardest steps to ever take because it's a downward step. Andrew Murray once said this, I used to think that the gifts of God and the, and the privileges and preferences of God were like on a shelf. And the higher you got, the higher you climbed, the more of those gifts and precious promises and privileges you received. He said, now I began to realize the longer I'm a Christian that they're actually on the bottom of a shelf. Rather than being on a ladder and climbing up the ladder of success, it's like on a shelf. The lower you get, the more you get. Lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Which mind? The mind which was also in Christ Jesus. The only way it is ever possible that a family be united, that a church be united, that a mission be united, is if we each have the mind of Jesus Christ. Now that's a battle. That's a battle that every one of us have to fight. That's not just a battle that the leaders have to fight. It's a battle that every born-again Child of the living God has to fight. Everyone tonight sitting in this chair, if you've been saved, it's a battle you've got to fight. You have got to have the mind of Christ as much as I do. Because our unity depends upon it. Our fellowship, our advancement depends upon it. I've been reading and studying the life of David over the last week, and, and boy, he had some difficulties. And a lot of that came because there were people hiding under under the looking like they were with him, but actually weren't with him. 
In fact, one of his own sons, Absalom. The Bible says Absalom stole the heart of the people because there were two different minds. We've got to have the mind of Christ, which is not a mind that desires preeminence or glory or a voice or recognition. It's a mind that says, look, Jesus Christ, let him be exalted. He must increase. I must decrease. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Think about the, the preeminence of Christ. He's the head. And he is the only begotten son of God, eternal in the heavens. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he was equal with God. He is equal with God. But being so high, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. How contrary to human nature is that? How contrary to my own heart and mind is that? The highest position known, ever known amongst all creation, condescended to make himself without any reputation. That's the mind we're supposed to have. Took upon him the form of a servant. The one who is king of kings, who should be served by every ounce of creation, said, I will become servant. Right? In Mark it says, he came not to be ministered unto, but give his life a ransom for many. Took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion of a man, he, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind, this mind be in you. How can we all speak the same thing? Let this mind be in you. <laughs> Being perfectly joined together in the same mind. Look at Romans chapter 12. I love this chapter and, and really there's so much in here that deals with this very thing. Verse 16 says, be of the same mind. One toward another. Mind not high things but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, do you know how that starts? Do you know how this all starts? It starts, verse number one, with another I beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The only way we'll ever have the same mind is if we each lay our bodies down daily as a sacrifice unto God. Not my will, but thine. Not what I want, God, but what do you want? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. After all he's done for us, that's the least we can do for him. 
be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophesy, prophecy, then let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. That means true love. Abhor that which is evil, hate that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another. That's how. And it all begins with sacrifice. It all begins with sacrifice. Paul says in chapter 15 of Romans, verse number 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth, see the connection between mind and mouth? That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind, one mouth. How is it that we can be without divisions, that we speak the same thing? There comes sometimes, there comes a place when people say, I can't speak the same thing. That's fine. But if you can't speak the same thing and you can't have the same mind, then there can't be unity. And that has to be acknowledged. And, and it should be done in the right way. But if there's to be unity, if there's to be no divisions, we'll have to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and speak the same things. Now, the natural tendency, as we said a moment ago, is to divide. And I love what Paul says in verse 12. Now this I say that every one of you say, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. There's only one right answer there. I am of Christ. I am of Christ. There are no sides in the family of God except Christ's side. There are no sides. Some people say, I am of Calvin or I am of... Pelagian, or I am of Armenian. No, no, I am of Christ. I am of Christ. And, and this has been one of the banes of Christianity throughout the years, is these names and these, these splits. I am of Christ. May the Lord Jesus give us this. Now, study this book with me. And I, I, I want us as a church to be united. And that can only happen if we have the same mind and speak the same thing. But it can happen. Now, I'm, I'm grateful to know that the problems that are found in our church and other churches throughout the land today are problems that have been dealt with for 2,000 years. So, there's an answer. God gives it to us. May God give us 
the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and then we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, we call Thee Father because we are Thy children. And we long, Father, to be right with Thee and with each other. Grant unto us this which we find in Thy Word. We thank Thee, Lord, that in such wisdom it was recorded in this eternal book how we might deal with some of these difficulties. By Thy Spirit, guide us. Strengthen us. May we say no longer that I am of such a one. Instead, may we say I am of Christ. Jesus Christ the righteous. Father, help us. Help us in this matter. We pray that this fellowship, this body, would all speak the same thing, be of the same mind, be perfectly joined, united together in heart and mind. Help us with these things, we pray. Guide us by thy Holy Spirit. Bind us together, seal us together, we pray. Oh, Father, may we no, no longer grieve thy spirit, but instead may we give the spirit of the living God calls to rejoice inside of us and may it cause rejoicing in heaven as well. Guide us along by thy Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.